for prayer. And, you know, we happen to be situated right here in this building, right across the street from the original Blue Springs High School. And uh, that gives us great opportunities. And, you know, I see, uh, you know, I, it helps me understand how you, you could get the misimpression that this is a sacred space just because where we're at. And, you know, we were in this building, we uh, had an old sanctuary we were in, and then we uh, moved into the gym and made it our sanctanasium. But the space is not sacred. This isn't sacred space until you get here. So I don't have to go around with a big burner of incense around the exterior to create sacred space. I don't need that Old Testament stuff because New Testament... Uh, your prayers are the incense that makes this sacred space. But wait, hold it, not just that, your praise. And so it can seem like, or it seems like to me, some Sundays, like this Sunday, seems like to me, once the praise team got here and started practicing, God was here and he's just waiting for you to show up. I think so. I think God's been here. He's just been waiting for you to show up. And I, I, you know, I think that what you hear today in his word and his spirit, answering to his word, is going to confirm that today. One reason I mention that is because, man, we got a lot of stuff that we're doing, right? Hope lives here. So we're, we're vibrant. We're doing all sorts of things. And we don't we want to do a, a, a VBS for kids, and we need 100 volunteers to help us with that. And not, not all teachers, but, you know, all doing something and have all bases covered, and we want to do that, and we've got, you know, we'd like to invite the community to come out on Easter. Yeah. And so we've got the, the, the okay, so we've got plastic bag door hangers, and we've got promotional stuff to put in it uh, to tell them what we're inviting them to, and uh, stick that on the door because you can't put it in the mailbox un- unless you are the postman. Now, is that politically correct? I mean, everybody is an actor today. There are no actresses. Does that mean everybody's a postman? I, do, I see it's hard for me to keep up with, I have to say. But unless you are the mail carrier, if you put it in the post box, if you put it in the mailbox, I get called because that is illegal. Now, sometimes I get called because various... Ones of you ingenious evangelists, and this is a compliment, you'll put tracks in the bathroom stall at the hospital, mm-hmm. and they'll call me. <laughs> hey, your church, was on, your church name was on the back of this tract. You know, we don't want you doing that. And da-da. No, I don't care about that. I'll defend you in that. <laughs> but if you put it in the mailbox, it's illegal. So I can't, I can't, I, we don't want to do that. And, uh, but here's, here's, here's the thing about all these opportunities and things for us to do. Um, if you show up, you'll find God is there waiting on you. I think so. You say, Alan, well, you're just kind of getting mystical on me, and I don't, you know, I don't know if I... Bu-. Okay, try it out. I mean, I'd like to say that we don't have any problem getting adult volunteers for anything we do with kids or anything else. I would like to be able to say that this church knows that when they show up to serve, instead of just coming to a service that God's there waiting on him. And God was there waiting on you to show up so he could use you, just like he uses our praise team. And, I, you know, and it's not the praise team. It's not the people. It's they've, they've surrendered themselves to be the tool for God to use. And I'm just saying, I'm just used to taking that as an example. If you will sign up and show up to serve, you will find God is right there waiting on you. So he can use you. All right. Uh, Bump elbows with your neighbor. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you today for this time and opportunity to come before you in in your presence, Lord. It's only your house because your people inhabit it. Your people are here today, and God, we're in your presence. When we open your word, the Spirit of God answers to the word of God and speaks. Speak to us today. Lord, speak to us. We need it. We ask it in Jesus' precious and powerful name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated in the Lord's presence. And if you have your Bible with you, I'm going to ask you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, uh, chapter 4, fourth chapter of Mark's Gospel. And we're working on giving you keys 
uh, to four different escape rooms uh, leading us up to Easter Sunday. And an escape room is where a team of players have to discover how to accomplish a specific goal in a limited amount of time, which then allows them to escape from the room where that team is all trapped. And in October 1991, there was a team, and they were trapped. And they were a six-man crew of a sword, swordfish boat named the Andrea Gale. And she sailed on a routine trip from Gloucester, Massachusetts, and ran right into what we now call the perfect storm. And it's called the perfect storm because it combined Hurricane Grace, which was actually beginning to die out in the upper Atlantic. But then there was energy coming across the Great Lakes, plus an old frontal system in the New England area. And so when those three storms combined, they re-energized that hurricane and created almost apocalyptic situation there in the Atlantic Ocean. And Sebastian Younger, who wrote the book, The Perfect Storm, points out that all the combined nuclear arsenal, and we got some, right? I don't know how many thousands of nuclear warheads we have, the Russians have. Take both ours and theirs and combine it all at once, and it would not be enough energy to keep that hurricane going for even one day. And so their boat encountered waves 100 feet high. I mean, the equivalent of a 10-story building. And winds blasted over the ocean more than 100 miles an hour, and it was stronger than any storm in recorded history, except for the one that we look at now. Because in Mark chapter 4, the disciples are in exactly the same spot. We got 12 men on a boat with Jesus facing a weather occurrence of unprecedented proportions, and they are trapped because even though they, their team includes several professional fishermen, they're all afraid. And they're afraid because they're faced with an unsuspected storm, <coughs> so it didn't show up on the Weather Channel, an unpredictable storm, so all the modeling wasn't right, an import partial storm, they were not immune, even though they were Jesus' disciples. Now, neither are you. So look with me here in Mark chapter 4. I'm going to ask you to start in verse 1. Mark 4, verse 1. And he began again to teach by the seaside. And there was gathered unto him a great multitude, so that he entered into a ship and sat in the sea. And the whole multitude was by the sea on the land. And he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrines. Now, Jesus had taught some parables in the last chapter. He taught some parables to the scribes and Pharisees. Well, this is the first time he's teaching the congregation, he's teaching the multitude via parables. Now, a parable is a parallel account of something, and it's designed to uh, explain something if you have the parable explained for you. So somebody explains this parable, it's like, oh yeah, that opens up that doctrinal teaching, that truth. But in this case, it was designed to not be explained to scribes and Pharisees and to hide truth from those who do not believe in the certainty of the words of truth and to teach it by way of similitudes and comparisons for those who do. Now, in terms of context, Mark chapter 3 his friends say Jesus is beside himself and they want him committed. You see that in verse 21 of Mark 3. The scribes from Jerusalem say he's possessed by Beelzebub, by the devil himself, verse 22. And based on that kind of rejection of their king and his kingdom, then Mark chapter 4, verse 12 tells us he starts teaching the multitude doctrine using parables so that the scribes and Pharisees who have rejected him will not get it. Do not be that person today. Because the context also reveals that Jesus has a reason to get into the boat after he taught, or to stay in the boat he was teaching from, and to head to the other side of the lake about four miles away. Jesus is taking his disciples with him to go heal a man Chapter 5, verse 1, who has an unclean spirit. 
And he is demon-possessed with a legion of devils. And when Jesus casts them out, he sends them into a herd of swine, 2,000 pigs, verse 13 of chapter 5. And they rush headlong down, to a, down a steep place in, into that same sea, and they drown. Why? Well, because the devil and his angels will one day be drowning in a lake of fire, Matthew 25, 41. So the story we see right now, sits between Jesus' teaching and his healing. Because Jesus and me and you should not be deterred from carrying out Christ's mission to save the lost in spite of circumstance, in spite of our fear. So trapped in their own fear, unable to save those in our society, afflicted by the same modern-day demons as we see in this chapter... Let's see what the key is. Let's get out of this together. Let's see the solution. Because we've got people today dying of overdose, subject to violence, living in a state in which the world says it is a mental health problem because they will not face it as a moral problem or a spiritual problem or a demonic problem. So verse 35 of Mark chapter 4 tells us, In the same day when the even was come, Jesus saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. Now, you know, I hate traveling. And uh, I get in ships all the time. They happen to be airships, and you have to fly, and there's always uncertainty in travel, even today. But here, this team of people is heading into the lake just as it starts to get night. So even means evening. And and night in the Bible is a picture by type of the church age. When Jesus returns, he is said to be the son of righteousness, S-U-N, who arises with healing in his wings, Malachi 4.2. But in the meantime, Jesus, as the son of God, has given you the word of God, And if he's given you the word of God, then what will happen is exactly what his word states is going to take place. If you accept it, you receive it, you believe it, and you act on it, you work and you minister, well then, what he says will happen for for you doing that will take place. If you're like the scribes and the Pharisees and you reject it out of hand, you put it away and you don't get involved... You're not going to be a disciple? Well, okay. Then what will happen to you is exactly what it says will take place. So if you're a a Christian by believing and being born again, look at Philippians 1, verse 6, there in your handout. Paul says that you can be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you. Now, now Paul says in Philippians, you've got to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. There should be some fear of God in you so that you take the salvation inside and you work it out. But what he, the work he started that you're supposed to work on and work out and work through you, the work he started, he, he began a good work and he will perform his, he'll do all of his side of it until the day of Jesus Christ. So here the disciples are on a boat in a lake headed to the other side You are born into a life headed over the horizon. But if you trust Jesus for everlasting life this morning, then that new life which starts by being born again will continue to work in you and through you until the day that you see Jesus. I mean, you've got the promise of God today that you will end up on the other side exactly like your Savior. Now watch, look at Romans 8, there on your handout, verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What is going to keep you from getting to the other side? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written. I mean, what his word says is absolutely true. For thy sake, we are killed all the day long. Not so much here in America. Certainly in Islamic republics, certainly in uh, certain communist nations, certainly, absolutely in other parts of the world. But we can feel like we're dying. We feel like all day long we're being killed. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Okay, is that going to separate us 
from what God has for us on the other side? Nay, verse 37, in all, in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor conspiracies, nor, nor billionaires, nor, nor, nor politicians, nor, nor, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So I, I don't want you to leave here without that same hope today. Jesus, watch, look at chapter 4, Mark, Mark chapter 4. Jesus makes an unmistakable promise, verse 35, to show you his unbelievable power, verse 39, for an undeniable purpose, verses 40 and 41. And the purpose is to increase your faith so that you can escape your fear. And this is not the first time that they're going to be smacked down by Satan. I mean, their whole future with Jesus is that he's not going to be there in person. He's going to replace himself with the Holy Spirit. And so the goal of this study today is to get you to believe the words of Jesus. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Believe the words of Jesus so that you can be, verse 7, waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, who also shall also confirm you unto the end that ye may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Hey, we're in this boat together. If you get saved today, God has determined your destiny for you. That is what predestination is. It is you exercising your unfettered free will. To trust Jesus for everlasting life, you get saved, and then he predetermines your destiny after that as you become his disciple. Because God has a purpose for your soul in eternity, not just in time. You use time to set where your soul's going to land in eternity, not as to heaven or hell. If you're saved, you're born again, you'll go to heaven. But what kind of rewards are you going to get when you see Jesus? So this is what eternal life is. So, so verse 36, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, in the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. So they didn't change vessels. They took him in the same boat that he had been teaching from. And there's one detail here not included in Matthew chapter 8 or Luke chapter 8. So this is so important. It's one of those few stories included in so many of the Gospels. But here's a detail that neither Matthew or Luke let you know about, and that is that they were not alone in sailing to the other side. Now, that compounds the confusion of the disciples whenever they face their perfect storm, because it's not just me. It's my company. It's not just me and my company. It's my marriage. It's not just me and my wife, it's my family. And it's not just our family, it's the Lord's testimony. It is God's glory. And it's not just us, it's our community. I mean, it's their children as well as yours. We are living in a time when the stakes are the highest because our society has jettisoned Judeo-Christian values and they ain't gonna get back, you ain't gonna get them back to it. I mean, we're all good Romans. Uh, we've jettisoned Judeo-Christian values. Our schools have boxed God out. So there is no biblical worldview whenever they look at any of the evidence. That's why we come to different conclusions when we look at the same data. And it is just assumed that everyone agrees that we came up from the animals and we are now so evolved we can choose our own gender against all waking reality. Uh, and we do that because we know there is nothing more than this life. So if you want to be something other than what you were born, if you want to be someone other than who you are, all you have is this life to do that because there is nothing other than this life. So what we reap is our adults not caring and our children not caring 
what we reap is exactly what we are seeing, and what we lose is our kids. No, there's a lot of other little ships on this lake with you. Verse 37, And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. You know, there are three things that humanity cannot control once you let them loose. And I mean, you can hunker down and you can run and try and get away from it, but you cannot stop a western wildfire by speaking to it. And you cannot stop a 10-story wave by speaking to it. And you cannot stop an F4 tornado in Mississippi by speaking to it, even if it's headed for your house. So every now and then, each one of us feels like we are in a boat with no engine on the Sea of Galilee. And you know, the storm comes along and the wind takes you off course. And you know, maybe, maybe years ago, or maybe when you were younger, maybe at some other church, you felt like you were on track and and you and God were tied and you knew where he was taking you and you were going with him, but now... All of this and all of that has happened and you're off course and the wind has taken you in the wrong direction and the wind puts you where you never wanted to be and a storm of wind keeps you from reaching your destination and a storm of wind is going to guarantee you have rough sailing even if you survive. So as your ship gets full of water, your soul gets full of fear and man, we feel so trapped. And we bail, and we bail, and our ship keeps on filling, and we either panic, or we run, or we pray, and sometimes we do all three at once, and, and, and if you're trapped on a boat, there ain't no escape. So I want you to notice some key discoveries which will dispel your fear. Where is Jesus whenever you're trapped by fear, and you need an escape? Look at Mark 4, verse 38. And he was in the hinder part of the ship. Okay, highlights or circle that word hinder. I'm going to get back to it. He's in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. So this is number one. Remember the Lord's presence in your storm. Because remembering is what allows you to relax. Remembering his presence is is the best pill you can take for your anxiety. You know, I think, I think of modern uh, days that uh, Tony Evans is probably one of the greater, greatest preachers out there. I mean, in past days, I'd say Charles Spurgeon. Uh, today, I'd say Tony Evans. So, I, you know, I, I follow him a little bit on Instagram or Facebook. I think I even get a text from him every day. And so a couple of days ago, he said, appeal to God's presence when fear begins to overtake you so that the emotion of fear does not become the spirit of fear. Hello, somebody. I mean, I really want to be practical this morning because here's our second point for study. Part of the real damage that mental illness does is when you will not let go of what you cannot control, including your past. As it's done, you can't go back and, and refashion it. That means you hurt your own mental health If you will not, let things go. Let them ride. Trust the heart of a loving God. Trust his providence in your personal escape room and rest in the presence of Jesus, whether it seems like he's sleeping on you or not. And I don't know if, you know, Jesus needed to sleep for his own sake as much as he fell asleep for the disciples' sake because they're the ones who needed the opportunity to see if they were going to fail in their faith, where their faith is at, if they even have any. I mean, they got to find this out prior to confronting their demons and the demons of anybody else they want to help that has a legion of them. And so they're the ones that need to go through this so that they can go through life knowing they can trust Jesus regardless of the circumstance. You know, some people get so uh, hurt by trauma and uh, being trapped on a boat in, 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 in a perfect storm, that's kind of ultimate trauma. And I know, I understand, we've got so many other outside influencers and we all, 
we all eat out of plastic and we drink out of plastic and, you know, it affects our hormones and the way that we think. And, you know, some of us have drug use in our past and that affects the neural connections in different ways. I understand. I understand. It's only going to get worse. It's legal now. So, okay, I understand all that. There is all of that outside circumstance but you know what? These guys were in an outside circumstance they couldn't control a lot worse than yours. They had much less control over this storm than you do over your emotions or your thinking based on whatever your past may contain uh, because you can restructure that thinking using Bible principles. I mean, get discipled before you leave today. Sign up out in the lobby to be discipled. I mean, let us pair you up with somebody one-on-one, just take you through 16 basic fundamental concepts of the Christian life, and, and that will solve 80% of it. You know, some people seem to never recover. They always go back to the event. They continually dwell on what they felt at that time, and they're forever bringing it back to the surface, even in less serious situations. Or when they are triggered... You know, it, it just sets them, you know, back on a tailspin. Other people, they learn to walk with the Lord. And something gets triggered, they take it back to God. And they just leave it back with, they just leave it with God all over again, and they keep going on with Him. Now, let me open a window on that word so you understand it. Because back in the early days of the oil boom in Oklahoma, one wildcatter had his well catch fire, and it was such a big blaze that his, his wildcat fire department could not take care of it alone, and so he sent out, I mean, he's losing money every day that that oil is spurting out. And so he sends an appeal to the surrounding county. He says, look, I'll give $30,000 to whomever can get this well fire put out. And that was big money in those days. It's like $2 million in today money. And so fire departments from Clay and Platt and Cass counties, they all come in to help. And they, they're bringing in their shiny equipment. And, and, but yet not one truck was able to get closer than 50 yards to that blaze. Finally, the Greenfield Volunteer Fire Department appeared on the scene. They came with their old rickety fire truck, and it's equipped with a single ladder and some buckets of sand and blankets, and then they got an old pumper that has water in it. And when they reached the point that all the other fire trucks stopped, they just kept right on going. And in, and in, in a moment, they're in the midst of that blaze, and those men had donned their masks and they'd put on their respirators and their fire uh, retardant suits. And so they jumped out and they pour buckets of sand and they pump water out of the truck. And then they beat the embers, uh, you know, the, the coals uh, um, out with their blankets. And the newspapers are there and, you know, they just discovered flash photography. And the oil man was so impressed that at that very moment, he presents to that volunteer fire department a check for $30,000 right on the spot, and, and the cameras are rolling, so he said, look, what, what, you know, what are you going to do with all this money? And the driver, he stood there, he took the check, his hand's still shaking. He said, well, first thing is we're going to get those brakes fixed. <laughs> now, I, I don't see why you didn't get that, because... The things the devil wants to break you, God wants to use to build you, and Jesus wants to use to reward you. Hello, somebody. So if you don't think you're not going to find him when you get in the midst of the fire, we're going to see that in a minute, but, but the moment you think Jesus is sleeping, you're the one who needs to be woke. I mean, it wasn't Jesus that needed to be woke. It, was, it is us disciples, Romans 13, verse 11. And if you do not rest with Christ at the time of the crisis, then when you get woke to what is happening within his permissive will, you'll need to read God's providence back into your past pain and recover by faith. Where is your faith? Why do you have no faith? Why is there so little faith? And you know, when we go through this storm of wind that we may be involved in, and everybody in here, I know you're in some, I don't know what your storm of wind is, but I know everybody goes through, through one regular basis. And, and I know that therapy doesn't heal it. And I'm, you know, I'm all for anything that helps you. 
I'm just telling you, it won't cure you. Medication only masks it. It will not cure you. But if you confess your faith that God allowed it, even if the devil did it, then the devil's going to have to raise back up off of you. Every normal believer is, in that sense, in control of their own mental state. You're in control of your own mental health. Um, I mean, if the lost world says that you can solve the problem by talking to someone, someone who has no more power to either define it, stop it, or help it than you do, then sure enough, the child of God who trusts God can get relief. But if you stay asleep and if you sin in distrusting God long enough by dwelling on how bad the trauma was to you, then it may result in a break with reality and a true psychosis. And it may result in sleep disorders or addictions to try and forget what you will not see God in. How do you escape the post-traumatic stress of fear so that you do not fall into that? Well, second, second, this is number two. You have to know that the devil has limits on his power. Psalm 121 verse 4 says, Behold, he that keepeth Israel shall neither sleep nor slumber. But here, the man Christ Jesus is asleep in the cargo hold, and his humanity can do that because his deity knows there are limits to the devil's power. But if you do not believe that, if you do not reckon on that by faith, then you act like these disciples. Watch verse 38. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, will you please calm the storm? No, no, that's not what they say. Well, Master, will you make the wind stop? Well, Master, will you get the water out of our boat? Well, Master, will you make sure we don't drown? No, no, no. They say, carest thou not that we perish? Now, awake, awoke, and arose are all words that point you to the ultimate escape, our rapture as the church, the body of Christ, and for the Jews, their rescue at the second advent, the second coming of Christ. Psalm 82 verse 8 says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. So here's our second point for study. It's not the millennium yet, but hey, it's not the great tribulation either. So in the meantime, Jesus wants you to get woke when you think that he's asleep. How do you escape fear? Get woke to faith in God. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Hey, Peter, you're praying to me? You say you're praying to me? Well, Luke twenty-two thirty-two. I've prayed for thee, old buddy, that thy faith fail not. And when thou art converted from thy faithless distrust, strengthen thy brethren. You know, the Bible talks about the prayer of faith in James chapter 5, verse 15, because when you pray, it's expressing faith. When you pray, knowing God hears, knowing God is hearing you, that expresses faith. And when you pray in faith, and do not accuse God in your fearfulness, then God is most likely to answer you. And he will either A, remove the problem, or B, give you what you need to endure the problem, or C, he'll simply give you peace. Jude verse 20 says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, how? Praying in the Holy Ghost. Because Jesus may not be here, but he has replaced himself. And the Spirit answers to the Word. And when you can get into the Word and get the Spirit involved, you've got what you need. Do you do that? Have you taken responsibility for that? Are you taking responsibility for your own mental health as a believer in that way? I mean, sometimes the goal is not to get out of the escape room. Sometimes the goal is knowing how to act godly in front of others while you are in the midst of it. Because there are a whole lot of little ships traveling with you do you pray in faith do you build yourself up in faith i mean this is very practical stuff this morning because i want to lead us up to easter and so if you don't know what to pray read the psalms psalm, psalm 7 verse 6 arise O lord 
in thine anger, lift up thyself because of the rage of mine enemies, even the devil. And his rage against me is a saint. And awake for me to the judgment that thou hast commanded. Now you can trust God's judgment. Can you not trust God's judgment? I mean, Abraham prayed when he was talking about, you know, Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And all the sin they were involved in and all the confusion they had, all the dysphoria. And he prayed and appealed to God and said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Genesis 18, verse 25. Why, yes. Yes, he he always does right. So set the sail of your faith to catch the wind of the Spirit by knowing up front that God can, God will, and God is right now doing what is right by you. Now, right may seem wrong if you're messed up already. Get out of being messed up. Get into the Word. Sign up for discipleship. Psalm 44, verse 26, Arise for our help and redeem us for thy mercy's sake. Psalm 74, verse 22, Arise, O God, plead thine own cause. Remember how the foolish man reproacheth thee daily. Every single day they complain. There is always a complaint. It's a constant complaint in their life, no matter how big it is or how little it is. It's all complaining. Well, that's foolish. And you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna, you're gonna think that Jesus is awfully harsh with these disciples in just a minute. But that is exactly what they did to him. They reproached him. Not even for not stopping the wind, but for not caring as they perished. And yet that is so like us. Verse 39, And Jesus arose and rebuked the wind. You're going to reproach me? Okay. I'm just going to rebuke the wind. Uh, that caused you to think you needed to reproach me and said unto the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. So as big as the storm had been, just as glassy the sea became, Psalm 78 verse 65 says, Then the Lord awakened as one out of sleep and like a mighty man that shouteth by reason of wine. And he smote his enemies. Watch, where did he, where did he, where did he hit him at? He kicked them in the butt. Now that's what my grandkids would say. He, he smote his enemies, where? In the hinder parts. That's why he was in the hinder part of the ship, because he's, he, as far as what the devil's doing, he's going to always hit him where he ain't even looking. He hits your enemies where they ain't even looking. And unfortunately, usually where you're not even looking. Uh, uh, in the hinder parts, he put them to perpetual them to perpetual reproach. So these disciples' prayer, as defective as it was, as loaded with distrust as it was, as accusatory as it was, it still had an effect on the heart of Jesus. Watch verse 40. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? I mean, it's natural to be afraid in those circumstances, but why are you so fearful that you're not trusting me? Why are you so fearful you're accusing God? Why are you so fearful you're criticizing and complaining and reproaching God? Uh, How is it that you have no faith? You know, I don't really like that question. I, I don't like it, and yet it's true. I mean, Matthew eight twenty six, and he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? And Luke eight twenty five, and he said unto them, Where is where is your faith? And they being afraid wondered. Only this time it's all calm now. They're not afraid of the storm anymore. They're kind of scared of Jesus. I mean, when we're trapped by fear. It is because we have no faith, little faith, or our faith is hiding. And yet, Isaiah, 70, Isaiah 43, verse 2, Isaiah 43, 2 says, When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Uh, okay, you know, the, the boat needs bailing because it is getting swamped. You're going to capsize. All right, I'm, but I'm, I'm here. Um, and through the rivers... Okay, it's not just water, it's not just flood, it's not just a lake. Oh, that rivers will carry you away. 
but they shall not overflow thee. Um, you know, you won't get, okay, you're, you're saved, born again. I know that. I know that after getting saved, you got baptized. I'm not going to let the rivers baptize you. And they may move you, but I'm going to pick you up wherever you're at because I'm here with you. And, uh, and, and when thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. So, you know, Paul says, faith comes by hearing something that is spoken. And not just hearing anything, but hearing the words of God, Romans 10, 17. So it's not uh, having faith to still the storm that is needed. You don't need enough faith to still. Jesus will either still or unstill the storm. But you need the faith to read the word and be woke enough to trust Jesus when the rest of the world thinks he's sleeping on you. So what is the alternative? Alan, what should I do instead? How do I get out of this escape room? I mean, what is the model of what you want me to do? Okay, watch. Daniel chapter 3, we see exactly in the Old Testament, in this picture, this story from the Old Testament, a, a, a picture in type of, of what they should have been doing in that boat. Daniel 3, verse 16, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we're not careful to answer thee in this matter. We're not full of care. We have no anxiety over this. I'm not stressed out. I mean, you've threatened us with throwing us into, the, for, into your fiery furnace if we will not bow down and worship your image. Um, and we're not, we're not afraid of you. So we're not careful to answer thee in this matter if it be so, if it happens that way. Well, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And whether he does or not, he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, we will not serve thy gods nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. The three Hebrew children in Babylon with Daniel, they had the faith facing fire, not just fire. I mean, maybe, maybe you can outrun fire. Maybe you can hunker down and hide from fire. Uh, they, had the face, they had the faith facing a furnace, a furnace of fire. Well, that's an escape room you don't get out of. And they had the faith in face of that fire that the 12 disciples did not have facing their storm of wind. So how come they escaped fear and you have not? Well, this is number three. Look at verse 41. And they feared, they the disciples, now that the storm is over, now that there is as great a calm as there had been a great storm of wind, they now fear exceedingly. Number three, use the fear of the Lord to drive out fear of your circumstance or fear of the trauma that it was in the past. Can you just fear God enough? so that you'll drive out that fear. And that doesn't mean that there might not be uh, in the immediate aftermath some spontaneous type, re you know, reflex reaction. You know, so if, if you were in a war zone and you, and you came back and a firecracker goes off, you may, you know, hit the floor and duck under a chair just as a, okay, okay, that may happen. And again, that ain't no thing but a chicken wing. But can you not have the faith to drive out the fear that allows you to continue to walk with God? Because fear of the Lord is what gives you wisdom. Psalm 11, verse 10, Proverbs 9, verse 10. We exist in this inescapable room because we have been talked out of the necessity of fearing God. And somehow we've been told that we just need to reference God. You know, we just need to honor God. Not fear God. No, you know, that is why our children do not depart from evil, according to Job 28, verse 28. We get wise in our own conceits by what we believe from psychologists and therapists and politicians and pastors, pastors and professors and peers and other influencers. 
instead of what the Word of God says, Proverbs 3, 7, Romans 12, 16. And yes, perfect love does cast out fear, 1 John 4, 18, but the specific kind of fear that it casts out is fear of the day of judgment by God, 1 John 4, 17. So Peter says, fear God, 1 Peter 2, 17. Paul says, have the fear of God, 2 Corinthians 7, 1, Ephesians 5, 21. So in the final analysis, i got to give you this before we go, because i got to get you completely out. To bring complete escape from fear, this is number four. Rejoice in the Lord's presence, His power, and His purposeful love for you. Verse 41, And said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey Him? He is the Creator God. He is walking in the form of your humanity. And He did so exactly because He has a plan for your soul with Him in eternity. And we sing about storms in our worship. I was sinking deep in sin, far from the peaceful shore. Keep me safe till the storm passes by. Jesus is a rock in a weary land, a shelter in the time of storm. We speak about storms in our witnessing. I mean, a lot of people give their testimony and say, you know, I was going through this storm and I didn't think I was going to make it. And, and for many of them, getting saved hinged upon a time when the winds of life were blowing and the waves were crashing and they were drowning with no visible means of escape. I mean, I think life can be summed up in three phrases that describe three phases. You are either entering a storm, in a storm, or got out of one and heading for another. Every head bowed, every eye closed. There was a little boy who was diagnosed with a serious congenital heart defect requiring surgery, and the surgeon sat beside the little boy on his bed, and he said, you know, tomorrow morning I'm going to open up your heart. And the boy interrupted him, and he said, you'll find Jesus there. And the surgeon was, you know, kind of annoyed, but he continued, he said, look, I'll cut your heart open to see how much damage there is. And the little boy said, but when you open up my heart, you'll find Jesus there. And the surgeon looked over at the parents and he just ignored that comment. And he said, look, when I see how much damage has been done, I will, I will know what I need to do next. The little boy said, but you'll find Jesus in my heart. The Bible says he lives there since I trusted him and I got saved. And the surgeon said, okay, I give up. He had enough. So he finally just said, look, I will find out if I can make you well. And after the operation, the surgeon went to his office to record the notes for the medical record. And he said, damaged aorta, damaged pulmonary vein, uh, widespread uh, muscle degeneration, no hope for transplant, no hope of cure, hospice care, painkillers, bed rest. Prognosis? Then he, he stopped before he recorded his last words. Death within a few months. And he shut off what he was recording into, and, you know, he asked aloud, God, why? Why did you do this? Why did you do this to this little boy? Why did you do it to me? I mean, you put him here, you put him in this hospital, you put him in my office, you put him on my operating table with no hope. Why? And then something just spoke to that surgeon's heart and said, He has hope, you don't. You don't have hope. That surgeon had had some other people that planted the seed of the gospel in his life, and he knew all he had to do was believe on Jesus and receive everlasting life. And so at that moment he prayed, and he received Jesus, and he got saved, Colossians 2, verse 6. So after the boy was out of recovery, the next morning on the morning rounds, the surgeon sat down beside this boy on his bed. And I know this is, you know, it's just a story I heard about. but I have been in those hospital situations. When a parent has a child, and at at least from a medical standpoint, there is no hope. 
The little boy woke up and he whispered, did you cut open my heart? The surgeon said, yeah. Oh, he said, what, what did you find? He said, I found Jesus. Have you found Jesus today? In the midst of your storm of wind, in the midst of your boat, have you found Jesus? Our community is infected, but Jesus has a vision. And our society is afflicted, but Jesus has a mission so that you can get involved in healing the afflicted. I mean, I have hope. Do you? Hope lives here in this church. So escape the fear that the devil has been using to cripple you and to shatter your mental stability and enter the purpose that God has for you in eternity. Will you find Jesus right now? Will you just believe on him for everlasting life? Now is the day to escape. All you got to do is pray. I mean, your heart to God, knowing that he hears you. To receive Jesus into your heart, just pray and say, God, save me today for Jesus' sake. Not for my sake. I don't deserve it. There's nothing I have done or could do. Jesus did it all. He did it on the cross. I need the hope that lives here. So God, I trust Jesus today. My faith has started because of your words that I heard today. So I trust Jesus for exactly what he's promising me, everlasting life. Here, Jesus, I give you my life. Go ahead and stand if you would, and let's get ready for the praise team to send us out singing. But if you prayed and you trusted Jesus today for eternal life, please come up here to the front, either now or when, when we're singing or as soon as we get done. Uh, meet with me or one of our other altar workers here at the front. Let us give you a book I wrote on next steps for new believers. And if you want to be prayed for, prayed with, or prayed over, you need prayer. Come up here to the front. Let us pray with you. Um, if you want to join this church, be a member. Come up. Let's talk about it. If you've gotten saved but you've never been baptized, you know, come up and we'll get you in on doing that. Next, next Sunday, we're going to be talking about how to escape your darkness. So invite somebody for Poem Sunday next Sunday. Praise team. Send us out singing.